So we're starting uh, just a little bit early, uh, which probably frightens some of you. He needs more time. Now we're going to start uh, the message a little earlier in the service today because at the end of the service we're going to uh, be able to see a, some, a few highlights uh, from VBS this week, uh, and then also the kids are going to be coming in, which is always a treat, and they're going to sing a couple of songs uh, that they learn. So this morning uh, we are uh, coming to our final message uh, in our series, Essentials, Made to Thrive, Not Merely Survive. This has been, I believe, uh, a great way for us to start together uh, in, uh, in what I hope will be a very exciting journey uh, with myself serving as your pastor uh, and you as the congregation God's called me to lead. Uh, we've been exploring the essential link uh, series between the idea of abundant life that Jesus Christ is offering each one of us uh, and the connection uh, to that of a healthy church. Uh, there's, I have said repeatedly, a reciprocal nature between those two. Uh, the church that is healthy is likely to be the church where men and women, uh, boys and girls, but particularly men and women, are maturing in their understanding and experience of abundant life. Uh, and then vice versa, a church grows healthy as each one of us as individual parts of the body are experiencing life with Jesus in such a vital way uh, that together, when we come together, the community of faith is vibrant. And that's what we're trying to do, to live in vital relationship with Jesus Christ, to see lives transformed through the work of the Holy Spirit for the glory of, the, of God. And at the same time, to position ourselves as brothers and sisters in His family as a church to accomplish God's redemptive purposes uh, in the world. As your pastor, as uh, Christ under shepherd in the church, I can assure you that I am passionate about ensuring that as many of you who are serious about following hard after Christ will discover what abundant life looks like. Uh, I, don't, I don't want our church to be that church where the vast majority of people live beneath the level of their inheritance. God the Father and heaven expent their greatest treasure so that you and I might not only be redeemed, but we might become the people we were created to be. And that in turn, our marriages would be a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church, and our kids would grow up in such a way that they would come to know the Lord, and that they too would seize upon living for the kingdom. This is, this is my desire. And I'm just convicted that the kind of church that produces that is the church that's healthy. So we, we have to pursue uh, these two ideas, uh, the individual, the calling uh, Christ followers to walk with Christ and to become like Him and to live abundant lives, and at the same time, pouring ourselves into the making of a healthy church. And every one of us has a stake, whether this is your church or you have another church elsewhere, every one of us has a stake in becoming that church. Now, there are many things that we could have talked about. The, the Scripture's full of things that we could focus on uh, as, as, as a part of God's blessing in the Christ follower's life or God's gift to the church. But the, the ones that we chose to focus on, I believe, are the essential traits of what makes a healthy church and fosters uh, the abundant life mix, just by way of recap. First, that we talked about how Jesus is our only foundation. Second, that the Word of God must be our weightiest influence. And we talked about a sound biblical theology. Uh, that is to say that we're called to know God fully. Like we, we don't focus just on His love. We, we have to come to terms if we're to understand the gospel with His holiness and His justice. That we should be gospel-centered individually and as a church. Uh, and that in our efforts, we must be gospel-driven. So we want to measure everything we do by the gospel. 
Uh, Julie and I will begin an after-action report on VBS. And what, we're, what we want to do every time we do something, every time we allocate resources toward it, we want to know that it's advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ and we want to see fruit come from that. Then we talked about how the converted life is an ever-changing life. Uh, some of us haven't changed since we first professed to know Christ. And, and, and that's not what Scripture teaches Scripture teaches that we're all on this path of becoming more like Jesus, and so we must be ever-changing. Whatever God did in your life last year, rest assured, He has a plan for this year too. You just have to ask Him what He wants to do. Then we need to be on mission for reach, uh, reaching people. Seventh, we talked about a commitment to Christ's body, which is, going to be me- is measured by participatory membership. So later this year, we will roll out our covenant membership, and we will once again, as a church... Uh, we once again value and measure and call people to covenant membership. Then we talked about biblical community, the idea of doing life together, that a lot of good can come out of a setting like this, most importantly that we worship our great God and that the word of God is proclaimed over us. Things happen good in our lives when that happens. But every one of us needs a relational context where we can rub shoulders with some brothers and sisters in Christ and become, it kind of advances the idea of life change. We talked about spiritual formation, being formed in Christ, uh, ministry. We talked about serving one another. Then we talked about biblical eldership, which is the path our church is on, being well led uh, by uh, a spiritual plural team of leaders. And that brings us to the final. All of these good things and a host of many other things that you're familiar with that are uh, promises to us in God's word. And they all come down to this, um, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the source of our strength. Jesus wrote or said in Luke chapter 24, verses 40 through six, 46 through 49, He said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. My intent in this final message is, in summary fashion, to talk about first who the Holy Spirit is, and then second, specifically, how the Holy Spirit works in the Christian life and in the church. So I want to give you quickly five descriptive statements about who He is, uh, and then follow that, uh, unpack just a little bit, three definitive statements about how He works in our lives. So first of all, who is the Holy Spirit? Let me give you five uh, ideas. Uh, First of all, the Holy Spirit is a unique person and not simply a power or an influence. We learn from Scripture, among other things, that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, He can be quenched, He can be resisted. All of us have probably done that. Uh, He's not just a force or an influence. Scripture teaches us that He's a person. Now, Most of us buy into that, but the important thing is that we not just view the Holy Spirit as a fact of doctrine, but that we understand that He is meant to be experienced in relationship. Number two, the Holy Spirit is one with the Father and the Son. So we've talked about Jesus Christ as our foundation, and we talked about the Father. And uh, as an important part of what our beliefs teach us, it's important for us to understand and embraced by faith, where our understanding is lacking, that God is three distinct persons, and yet He's one. So we would say 
theologically that the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Father, and the Father is not Jesus. And yet, the Scriptures teach us that God is one. So the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. He's a unique person meant to be experienced, and He's one equally in essence and in responsibility with the Godhead. We see the, the, the Trinity in Scripture in a myriad of places. In creation, we see uh, in Genesis chapter 1, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, involved there. We see uh, the three of them involved in the baptism of Jesus. We see the Holy Spirit's work in the life and ministry of Jesus, in resurrection and redemption. John chapter 14, Jesus writes, or Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Number three, the Holy Spirit is the agent of creation. We see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, uh, that the Holy Spirit is hovering over, the, the, the Hebrew word is chaos. And as God begins to speak, the Holy Spirit puts into place, puts into action what God has spoken. The Spirit is the irresistible force of God, which accomplishes the Godhead's purpose. Number four, the Holy Spirit is also the agent of God's new creation in Christ. So Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So every one of us here this morning has been born of water. We came from our mother's wombs. But the only way we can see the kingdom of God, the only way we will know the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, is if we are born again of the Spirit. And so the Spirit has a unique purpose in marshalling out God's new creation, which begins with you and I. Finally, fifth, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. The word spirit uh, is, in both Hebrew and Greek, is the word breath. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So an understanding, to come to this point, we we see biblically kind of the scope of the Holy Spirit's role, and we should gather that He's important, very important. An understanding uh, and experience of the Holy Spirit, which is both transformational, in other words, to know the Holy Spirit is to be changed by Him. Uh, we'll see in just a moment that the uh, Greek word in, in Acts 1.8 is dynamite, dunamis. That's, that's the word referred to the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's to be transformational and it's to be progressive. That is, it's to be growing as we walk through this life. These are essential to every good thing that the Father has willed for our lives for His glory. The same which Jesus Christ has made possible by His perfect righteous life, uh, and by means of His atoning substitutionary death. The Father prescribes, the Son purchases, and the Holy Spirit puts it into place. The Holy Spirit puts it into effect in our lives. So there's five descriptive statements uh, on what we see in the Scripture of the scope of the Holy Spirit's role. 
Now, I wanna, what I want to do is press in on the one that affects us, that he is the agent uh, of God's in the new creation in Christ, specifically you and I. How does the Holy Spirit work then in the Christian life? Three thoughts. Number one, the Holy Spirit enables salvation, making redemption all of God's doing. Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born of water and of spirit. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So last weekend we celebrated baptism, and we baptize uh, in water by immersion. And it is a picture Baptism, like a wedding ring, is an outward uh, manifestation of an inward reality. And so what we discover from Scripture is it is the Holy Spirit who takes the work of the gospel, applies it to our lives, and redeems us, uh, makes us saved. And so the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures teach us, uh, is uh, His ministry is to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. And so He's convicting us of our sin. And then he's wooing us to Jesus Christ as the substitute for our sins. Uh, And then uh, at the point at which we are prepared to place our faith in Christ, uh, he regenerates us. So regeneration precedes faith. That is to say that what the Holy Spirit does in saving us makes it certain and clear to us that salvation is all of God's doing. Ephesians chapter uh, 2 tells us that it's it's not about our works, lest any, any of us would brag. Now, this coming of the Holy Spirit, this promise of the Holy Spirit, happened on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 describes how uh, Peter begins to speak, and and the Spirit of God falls upon the people, and he brings to them what the Father has prescribed and what the Son has purchased. And the Holy Spirit redeems. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see that word dunamis, power. And, And all of this is important because if we would live like Jesus, which is what we're called to do, then as with Jesus, so with us. Jesus was not acting as the second person of the Trinity when he resisted temptation. Jesus was not acting as the second person of the Trinity when he performed miracles. His life was yielded to the Spirit of God, to do God's will, empowered by the Spirit, and that's how he did it. That's why Scripture can say of him that he was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. If he was acting as the second person of the Trinity, that'd be a little unfair. But Scripture says he wasn't. He committed himself to walk in the flesh, and he was utterly dependent upon the Spirit of God to lead him. And this is an indicator as to the kind of life that God is calling us to, to be dependent upon him. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I'm I'm sorry, let me back up. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So for you and I to recognize that our sin puts us at odds with the Father, God has an issue with us, but that he's provided by grace through faith a substitute for us in Jesus Christ, and we come to know Jesus Christ, it is not a lease, a license to do whatever we want. Scripture says that God has sent to us the promise, the surety of our salvation, and the Holy Spirit has redeemed us in order that we might walk in newness of life. So just as we were buried with Christ, so we have been raised to live differently, 
if you would have abundant life, then it has to involve your life ever increasingly looking more and more like Jesus, which is to be Spirit-led. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10, through 10, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's not your doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, because some of us would brag about it. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what's important for us is to recognize that having been redeemed by God, the life we are called to live is still a life we are incapable of. Like, we need the Holy Spirit flowing through us. Uh, It needs to be Jesus living in us, uh, and the life that gets expressed is the life that is Spirit-led. Number two, the Holy Spirit inhabits our lives totally from the moment of salvation. Though the believer will spend a lifetime growing in awareness and surrender, experiencing his person and his power. So, so first of all, I, I want to remove in that first point this idea that we have any part to play in salvation. You don't. Nor can we get to, Jesus, or to the Father through any other means. The Holy Spirit is not leading us in any other means but through Jesus Christ. And it's all the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's all God's heavy lifting. All we do is respond in faith. And that, too, is just a gift of grace. In this second idea, I hope to uh, speak to, I think, what is often a misunderstanding about the, the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inhabits our lives from the moment of conversion totally. Like God doesn't parcel himself to us. There is a particular idea of of theology that says that we come to know Christ and that sometimes subsequent to that, we can have what's called the second blessing, which is in a further endowment of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe Scripture teaches that. I believe that the moment you come to know Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit lock, stock, and barrel. Now, what you don't understand is that you're playing with fire. What you don't understand is that He's dynamite and that He plans to turn your world upside down. He plans to turn you in a different direction. He's going to redeem you from the sin that you are so in love with. He's going to cause you to do things for the kingdom of God and for the glory of the Father that you wouldn't have saw yourself doing. He's going to unite you with people who were formerly strangers and you'll call them brothers and sisters. And together as a church, He's going to use us to acclaim the Father's glory and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit's doing. And to the degree that you know Him, to agree that he inhabits your life, this is where he's taking you. And so there's a lot about uh, the, your relationship with the Holy Spirit that you may not understand when you come to know him. But he's all there, the whole thing. All that's going to change is you. Over time, you're going to grow more and more sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, to his promptings, to the things he's asking you to do, and with yieldedness, praise to the Father and yieldedness to your Savior, Jesus Christ, you're going to follow Him and thus live a Spirit-led life. So what grows in our lives over time is our understanding of His person and His power. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, uh, is, uh, again, says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them 
utterance. And so this is where this idea that uh, for Pentecostals and Charismatics that there's a second blessing and until you've actually been given the gift of speaking in tongues, then you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. There are only four places in the book of Acts where the, the appearance or the baptism of the Holy Spirit is mentioned in reference to tongues. So let me say a couple of things. Number one, tongues uh, was a, uh, a, lang- a, a, a miracle that God used in language to help other people hear. And because God is God and I am not, I feel most comfortable saying if there is a circumstance in our world today where God can use the spiritual gift of tongues to advance the gospel, he can do that. He doesn't need our permission. But by and large, linking the two has led to the error that when you come to know Christ, if you haven't been given a particular gift, uh, then you must not have all of the Holy Spirit. That is not true. Paul says himself, uh, as an example in Corinthians, that not all receive the gift of tongues. And what he's attempting to say there, because it's in the passage where he's talking about how every part has its place and no part of the body can say to another part of the body, you don't matter. What he's saying there is that that's not the way it works. Not everybody gets the gift of leadership. Not everybody gets the gift of giving or hospitality or serving others. Not everybody gets the gift of tongues. So we cannot erect this expression, even if our emotions want something, we cannot erect an expression that somehow validates what God has already said is true. And that is, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you don't have to invite the Godhead to do its deal. You don't have to invite the Holy Spirit uh, to do what God intended to do, which was to redeem you unto himself and call you his beloved. The inhabiting work of the Holy Spirit enables new, empowered life. That's what we're to know, and that's what we're to grow in. So the Scripture says the Holy Spirit convicts us. He regenerates us. He indwells us. He baptizes us. He seals us. He gifts us. The inhabiting work of the Holy Spirit is, the effective, uh, is effective in us the moment of salvation. What has to happen for you and I is we have to grow in it. So in that regard, we're all in different places in our experience of the Holy Spirit. And what we can rest in knowing as we look to Scripture that God has called every one of us to abundant life. God wants our church to be the healthiest church it can be for the sake of Gunnison, for the sake of the valley. And what we can be assured of is that just as much as the Father was willing to, to commit His Son to the task, just as much as the Son was willing to lay down His life, so we can trust that the third person of the, of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is more than capable. He's dynamite. He's power of getting us where we need to be. So, some of us have a long way to go. But we can trust that the Holy Spirit is big enough to initiate in someone's life and move them closer to Jesus for the glory of God the Father and for the blessing and benefit of the body of Christ. This is how abundant life works. That leads to a third and final point. The Holy Spirit's aim, and this might be news for some of you, the Holy Spirit's aim is to lead and control your life. The Holy Spirit's aim is to take over because he knows best how to get you where you were intended to be. And so every one of us lives in the difficult tension of trying to figure out how to sense where God is taking me, how to reject myself and my wants and my urges, how to yield and follow faithfully. And to do so, 
To do so is not just to discover who you were meant to be. It is the secret to your marriage. It is the secret to your stewardship over your kids' lives. It's the secret to who you've been called to be to one another here. It's the secret to our becoming the church God intended us to be. To be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. To let Him lead and control our lives. Ina is a precious saint in our church. A few weeks ago, I talked about the importance of, of, of not being so focused on me and, and the work of God that I forget that there are other people around me. And I use the, the reference of, of crossing over to the other side. Ina sits on this side. You can always count on her to be there. Last weekend, she went to the furthest side she could get to. Because as she told me, the Holy Spirit really spoke to her. Ina's 94. Is that right? No? How old is Ina? 91. I'm counting on 94, just so you know. 91. And her life is an example to us that you should never get so settled that you're not willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's a small thing, but sometimes big things happen when we do small things for God. And small things tend to add up to big things. So it starts with the little things we do for God, and then ultimately you never can tell where He will take you. The only way you will get there, this process of being justified in Jesus Christ, living a life of being sanctified where I look more and more like Him to that moment where I become glorified and I have the privilege of standing before my Savior, hoping and praying to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know the line between those two? You know what it is? It's Spirit-led. It's Spirit-controlled. The Holy Spirit's aim is to teach you, Scripture says, and to guide you. It's to give you assurance that only He can give. He is the earnest of our salvation. Some people continue to struggle with the idea of trusting God for His promise to redeem us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to testify to us, both in fruitfulness as well as using other people to validate that they see Christ in us. He also prays for us. Praying even when we do not have words. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, of all the things that we could say about the Holy Spirit, the most important, the, most, um, the, the area where we have the most uh, to contribute uh, is the call from Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, 8, 18 for us to continually be filled with Him. Paul writes, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Holy Spirit. Now please understand me theologically. We are saying that at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit, you know, he doesn't divide himself like a pie. He gives himself to us fully. This is who God is. He did the same thing in Jesus and the Father has been doing the same thing since creation before creation. Giving themselves fully to us so the Holy Spirit gives himself fully to us. And yet, we are called to walk in Him. And the process of learning to walk in Him, learning to be obedient to Him, learning to allow Him to control and lead our lives is being filled. Just being filled with the Spirit. And being filled is not a prayer. Uh, Being filled is conditioned only by obedience. And so we look to Scriptures, and where the Scriptures are plain about what it is that we are to do, we say... I want to be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to obey this. 
God, that's what you want me to do. This is what you're calling me to do. I'll obey. And we're filled with the Spirit as He empowers us to do what God has called us to do, to be what God has called us to be. And the ramifications of the life that is continually filled with the Spirit, controlled or led by Him, is that we will bear fruit, attractive fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. There's not a person in this room that would raise their hand and say, I have all of those that I need. I don't think. I wouldn't. The key to being fruitful is spirit control, is being led of Him. It it results in Christ-like character where I overcome the things I struggle with, the things, as Paul says, the things I don't want to do that I find myself doing over and over. The Spirit delivers us from those. The Spirit grows a heart of worship and praise a heart of submissiveness, an attitude of service. This is abundant life. This is what a healthy church looks like. Just be candid with me. Do you want abundant life in Christ? Let me ask that again. Do you want abundant life in Christ? Do you with me want this church to make an impact in our community for the second 100 years? The only way, the only way either of those will happen is if the Spirit of God is routinely manifesting Himself in our personal lives and in our church. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, put no confidence in the flesh. All the things that we've talked about that are essential to abundant life and to being a healthy church, all those things and many more. Jesus said, you will do greater things than these. Peter talks about these great and precious promises that God, all of that is available to us as men and women, uh, as, as sons and daughters of God, all of that can be experienced in our church, but it turns on this. The force of God at work in the world today is the third person of the Trinity and we are called to be led by Him and to be controlled by Him. He's the one who checks our mouth. He's the one who guards our heart. He's the one who helps us to lovingly respond to an appropriate accountability from a brother or a sister. It's the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is at work, we will find ourselves easily saying to one another, Spence, I see Jesus in you. And the best thing that I could hear back from Spence is, I see Jesus in you. You know what gets that done? The dynamite of the Holy Spirit. Who controls your life? Who controls your life? If you're anything like me, then you would say, I I still, to my shame, I still hold too much of the reins. I get up too many mornings where I'm on my own throne and I need to be reminded that's not where I belong. It's the Holy Spirit spot. As you and I answer the call to be obedient and to be led by the Holy Spirit, we will experience more and more the abundant life that is ours in Jesus Christ. And as that happens, this church will begin to fire on all eight cylinders We will rise to a zenith of impact and influence, not greatness. The only great thing about us is Jesus. But he will use us mightily in this community and throughout this valley if we are led 
and controlled by him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for our time in the word, uh, not just today, but in the course of this series. And as we depart from this series and turn our attention next week to Father's Day and then uh, to some other series after that, God, may we, may we not lose sight. I believe you motivated me to this series principally so that I could say in conversation, hey, do you remember when we talked about Jesus being the only foundation? Hey, do you remember when we talked about the Scripture being our weightiest influence? Hey, do you remember when we talked about the importance of being led and controlled by the Holy Spirit? May these essential traits define our lives and lead us toward abundant life. And may they, Father, for your glory and for our joy, May they characterize Community Church. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.